This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Record gas prices. This uh, Ukraine-Russia situation has got everybody just following the, the bouncing barrels down the hill. The call for government intervention as growing costs cripple family finances. Heartbreaking homecoming. Slowly trying to get everything back in order. Months after fleeing the Merritt floods, members of a local First Nation return to disaster. And a popular radio host in hot water. It didn't sit right with me because he was targeting vulnerable women in our community. The allegations against Harjinder Tind and why Red FM listeners are calling for his job. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We were warned it was coming, but that's not easing the pain at the pump. Gas prices topping $2 per liter in some parts of Metro Vancouver. And that is increasing calls for the BC government to step in and do something. Kristen Robinson has the latest, including the often forgotten victims of spiraling prices. Metro Vancouver once again waking up to the highest gas prices in North America. It's getting crazy. Early Friday, fuel prices surpassing $2 a litre in some areas. Between food prices, gas prices, car prices, everything is just, you can't even, I have a good job and I can't even afford to feed three kids. It's ridiculous. Coast to coast, average gas prices range from $1.57 a litre in Nova Scotia to a low of $1.54 in Alberta, then $1.86 in BC, where Metro Vancouver sticks out at upwards of $1.92 per litre. I did the calculations and it's between six and nine hundred dollars a month just to put gas in one car at this rate. Gas is insane and you know 50 cents of that is taxes. Carbon tax needs to go right away. The BC government is promising action but ruling out a carbon tax freeze or price cap amid soaring pump prices. While we have the highest gasoline price in North America, we also have the highest gasoline taxes. And that is all due to government. They can change that if they want to. My biggest concern is how it's impacting families. Backpack Buddies delivers weekly bags of food to 4,000 kids in need across B.C. The charity's costs have gone up by $7,000 a month. And it's now having to guzzle record-breaking fuel costs. Our gas prices have more than doubled in the last two years. And when you account for the extra demand in our program that we're delivering, it's actually quadruple the price we were paying for gas two years ago. In April 2020, Backpack Buddies paid $450 monthly for gas. Last February, $680. This past February, more than $1,600. At $2 a litre, the charity is bracing for a $2,000 a month gas bill. We are just not able to expand as quickly to more families that we would like to. Fuel costs spiking since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and petroleum experts say there's no relief in sight. Unless there's some calmness put in this conflict between Russia and Ukraine, then things will just keep on rolling higher and higher. 
which means the average Metro Vancouver driver will be paying about 26 cents per liter more than the average Canadian, driving some to consider alternatives. Maybe just change to the hybrid, maybe. I'm yeah. thinking about it. There's got to be some sort of balance here at some point yeah. before people start leaving the province. If I could, I would change it back to prices 10 years ago. <laughs> or last year. January 2021's $1.28.9 a litre price spike seems like a steal today. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Officers with the new Surrey Police Service have their first contract, and it makes them among the highest paid in the country. One city councillor calls the deal a fiscal anchor for Surrey taxpayers. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, it could make things challenging for other departments also trying to recruit. As the Surrey Police Service continues to recruit members, it has its first collective agreement. I think this is a huge, positive and historic day for SPS. The agreement offers a starting salary of $78,000. It bumps up to $89,000 after one year. At three years, a constable makes almost $112,000. It makes the Surrey Police Service one of the top three Uh, paid police services in the country. This is an untried uh, police service and this is extraordinary. SPS salaries are comparable to those made by Vancouver police officers, some of whom have switched departments. So far we've hired 179 officers. 27 of those officers were ex-VPD officers. VPD is also recruiting and had this to say about possibly losing more officers to Surrey. We have a lot of career opportunities, a lot of career advancements here at VPD, and we don't affect or we don't think that this will affect our ability to recruit. Surrey Police Service says a timeline on transition from the RCMP is still unclear, but they hope to have more clarity in the next few months. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A vigil has been held at UBC Okanagan for the female security guard killed at the campus last weekend. Thousands of people gathered, some laying flowers in the place where 24-year-old Hamandeep Kaur was savagely attacked while working early Saturday morning. She died in hospital. Kaur, who was described as an incredibly compassionate and friendly person, arrived in Canada in 2015 with the dream of attending university and eventually becoming a paramedic. This is not the way anyone's life should end, and especially someone with such high hopes and aspirations and was just doing so much good for the community and was keeping me safe, and I didn't even know it. Absolutely shocking. That should be a wake-up call. That should really send a strong message to the province that something has to be done to deal with mental health situations. We need help. A suspect who worked for a janitorial company was arrested under the Mental Health Act after the assault, but so far no charges have been laid. More than three months after they were forced from their home by November's destructive flood, members of the Shakan Indian Band have finally returned home to face the trauma. And as Neetu Karacha reports from the Nicola Valley, they're now facing a huge job to repair and rebuild their community. A lot of the, the fields that uh, our grandparents and uncles and, and uh, family have worked hard to, to establish, you know, have been washed away. 
More than 100 days after it hit, we are getting a new look at the aftermath of BC's atmospheric river, from this flipped swing set and the vehicles buried in soil to this bent boat outside a house damaged beyond repair. That house eventually uh, will be torn down. This house just a few meters from where Highway 8 was ripped apart, cutting off the path to Spence's Bridge. Using old designs from when it was first built, crews have reconstructed this section of an approximately eight kilometer stretch. It's a haul road. It's not deemed a highway until um, they repave it. And that could take years. Meanwhile, the ongoing work has led to safety concerns. A rock falling off incident off of one of the rock trucks, almost hitting uh, one of our counselors from New Age. Chief Arnold Lamprose is one of seven properties on the south side of the community still on evacuation order because the only access bridge has washed away. The Prime Minister flying over us to go to see Abbotsford is just crazy. You know, they, they should have stopped in Camelots and drove out here. And the landscape here really tells the story of the double devastation members of this community faced over the span of just a few months, first being forced out by wildfires that charred entire mountainsides and not long after, floods that changed the course of the Nicola River. It's scary because you don't know what's going to happen and then you don't know if you're going to lose a loved one or not. It was one heck of an ordeal because when we were evacuated, we were all separated, eh? Like we all went different directions. Now with most together again, meals are being offered at the band hall to residents who've returned, but many are still without water and refrigerators. I didn't think that flooding was gonna be that bad. I figured maybe just high water and that it was about it. The families across the river, like they, they haven't been able to go home yet. And yet, and yet we're, you know, we're, we're sent home. Every time we came back from the residential school, we came back home, this is our community, but we still felt lost. Parts of us are lost. My message to the province and the feds, you know, is that we need help. He says mental health supports and temporary housing are priority needs, especially as those like him face the prospect of never returning to their homes. Neetu Garcha, Global News, at the Shakin Indian Band. Well, the province is adding a new requirement for high school graduation, a course on Indigenous studies. The initiative was developed in collaboration with the First Nations Education Steering Committee and will include consultation with Indigenous communities and schools starting this spring. The education minister says the course will help to deepen students' understanding of the experiences, cultural histories and knowledge of Indigenous peoples. It's also being applauded by the BC Teachers Federation as an important step towards reconciliation. The Indigenous Studies graduation requirement will take effect in the 2023-24 school year. The free ride for free parking at least is over at most BC hospitals. Today is the first day of the return of pay parking, which of course was suspended by the NDP government during the pandemic. There are some exceptions. People can apply for relief if they're being treated for chronic conditions that require regular visits. But for the most part, parking rates are back to normal. Healthcare unions say the government should have found a way to continue free parking for frontline healthcare workers. All right, let's take a look at today's COVID-19 numbers. We have 484 people in hospital with 69 of those patients in the ICU. There have been eight more deaths recorded due to complications of the virus. 
and we have 340 new confirmed cases. Keith Baldry joins us now with new information on the rapid test rollout. Keith, how mm. has the uptake been and when will this program be expanding? Yeah, the uptake hasn't been huge, but it's been significant. And good news is the age group is starting to uh, go lower in terms of accessing rapid tests. Right now, you have to be over 70 to get to be able to pick up one kid at your local pharmacy, but that changes on Monday. So we've got more than 1,000 pharmacies now have been given uh, are participating in this program. They have the tests on hand. People over 60 can start picking up the free tests starting Monday. 118,000 people over the age of 70 so far. That's about 16% of the population have received tests so far. Interestingly enough, the pickup in Vancouver Coastal and Fraser is about double that of the interior north, very similar to the vaccination rates early on in the vaccination program. And the expectation is that people over the age of 50 will likely start being eligible to pick up tests starting next Friday. So it looks like it's about a week's worth. To, uh, it takes about a week to go through every 10-year age cohort. There's about 600 to 700,000 people for every 10 age, uh, age group. So about a week there. But a number of people in their 30s and 40s who and 20s who have kids in school, of course, have had access to rapid tests because their kids have been getting to take them home as well. So again, on Monday, if you're over the age of 60, you can go to your local pharmacy and pick up a test. I'm sure that'll be good news to a lot of people. Thank you, Keith. One of the region's most popular radio personalities has some listeners seeing red. What Harjinder Tind said on air that got a lot of people angry. That's next on the News Hour. From new information to no information, the mystery deepens about a fatal trip to a blueberry farm and the wildlife believed responsible for it. And big money in old sneakers. Why shoe collectors are lacing up for a major event in Vancouver this weekend. That's coming up later as well. Right now, though, a high-profile South Asian radio host at Red FM is under fire. The controversy stems from comments he made about pregnant women delivering babies at a local hospital and then allegedly leaving them there to be put up for adoption. Sonia Diol has more. It's a total non-issue. He's one of the most prominent and influential figures in the South Asian community, known for his incredibly popular daily talk show on Red FM. Hanji, you're on there. But now Hajinder Tind at the centre of a firestorm for suggesting there's a sharp increase in young South Asian women having babies and abandoning them at Surrey Memorial Hospital. Local artist Jag Nagra, who was waiting to be interviewed for a different segment, stunned at what she was hearing. I just went into disbelief and complete shock that he actually said these words out loud. In the audio segment, Tind also calling on healthcare workers to help identify these women. Nagra says it's not the first time the talk show host has been controversial. There have been instances in the past where he has shown openly shown misogyny, um, and I, I really wanted to bring it um, in front of the public. Global News reached out to Harjinder Tind and Red FM. They promised to send us a statement. So far, we haven't received a response. As for what Tind has been suggesting on his airwaves, Fraser Health saying... They're not aware of any reports of this happening at Surrey Memorial Hospital. Nagra, who's still waiting for a response from both Tind and Red FM, 
says this is a real moment for meaningful change. You know, they, they need to take accountability. Um, they're on Canadian airwaves. Sonia Diol, Global News. Just ahead, the youngest victims of the Russian attack on Ukraine. Children crying all the time and they calling, please help us. How Canadians are trying to save thousands of children in orphanages. And a Kelowna group sending body armor to the conflict zone. I'm Don Powers of Below One, high above a crash that's on the Vancouver Burnaby border. It has westbound blocked on First Avenue at Boundary and the northbound right lane also blocked off. Get best in-class protection and savings with BCA Insurance. Learn more at bca.com. I'm Don Powers of Below One, high above the Vancouver Burnaby border. The war in Ukraine is entering a deadly new phase as a surge of Russian forces are crossing the border and taking aim at cities. There's growing evidence civilians are being targeted while a major Russian push to encircle Kyiv is expected to start soon. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. Picking through what's left of buildings on the outskirts of Kyiv, firefighters look for survivors unexploded shells making the job more dangerous. The attacks around the capital continued Friday. People still in shock that war has come to their neighborhood. The missile was clearly intended for the village council where the headquarters of territorial defense forces are located. Sadly, there have been victims. It is like Syria here, real Syria. I watched, I would have never thought they would come to us. The Russian advance in the south has captured the key port city of Kherson, and Mariupol is said to be surrounded. Russians now control the nuclear reactor that was attacked Thursday night. Slowly, it seems, Russians' grip on Ukraine is tightening. The streets of Kyiv quiet as people prepare for a direct assault on the heels of days of indiscriminate shelling. This is a genocide. Things like this are fired at residential homes. The humanitarian crisis continues to grow. Packed trains arrive hourly in Lviv from eastern and southern cities under siege. Refugees waiting, sometimes days to go further into Poland. He is scared. He's very afraid of explosions. He starts crying. That's why we moved away. He starts shaking when he hears the explosions. We came from Kharkiv uh, at 5 a.m. and uh, every, everyone is very exhausted. Kyiv every hour was more dangerous than before. Every day is worse than previous. Russian tanks now moving in the open around Kyiv. Fears mounting for what the next phase of the invasion will bring. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Kelowna's Ukrainian-Canadian community is rallying in a big way to help the resistance against Russian forces. In just a couple of days, more than $30,000 has been raised to buy body armor, helmets and tactical medical supplies for fighters in Ukraine. The campaign is also gathering first aid supplies and other equipment like rifle scopes and radios for Ukrainian soldiers and volunteers. It's hard to see and uh, 
basically our only hope is that uh, we get more help to Ukrainian fighters and Ukrainian army who fight basically for freedom of everybody on this planet. The supplies will be shipped to Poland, taken over the border and delivered to troops on the front lines within days. The Ukraine Kolona Group will be holding a rally Sunday at the Parkinson Rec Center. As the war in Ukraine escalates, a vandal has targeted a Victoria church. The front doors of St. Sophia's Orthodox Church splashed with red paint. What the attacker didn't know is that the church is attended by people of both Ukrainian and Russian heritage. And one of the deacons was born in Ukraine. In Russia itself, a rare challenge to the government, a large number of Orthodox clerics publicly uh, called on Vladimir Putin to end the war. This kind of action, this kind of vandalism is absolutely not justified. Russian Canadians are not responsible for what's happening in Ukraine. They're not responsible for what's happening to the Ukrainian people. Uh, Here in our community, we have to stand with each other and connect and stand for peace. Victoria police say the vandalism happened between 2 and 4 Wednesday afternoon, and they're asking anyone with information to contact police or Crime Stoppers. Well, there are an estimated 100,000 children living in orphanages in Ukraine. Many of their lives are at risk right now. But as Global's Karen Lieberman reports, there is a team on the ground working around the clock to try to save them. And they have some help from Ontario. Children crying all the time and they calling, please help us. And sometimes we cannot do anything because Russian occupiers uh, lower that territory. From his home in Kyiv, lights switched off for safety. You will, uh, you can hear alarms ring and uh, we have to go to the basement. Ukraine's former ombudsman for children, Mykola Kuleba, describes harrowing rescues from hundreds of orphanages across the country. It's horrible because um, more and more children every day dying be, be, because Russian shells, Putin shells everywhere. Kuleba and his team are desperately trying to save thousands of children in cities under attack. They feel abandoned and betrayed um, and don't feel protected and safe. Uh, they don't feel that they're loved. The Derzhanovska family is from Ukraine, now living in Barrie, Ontario. Four of the children were adopted from orphanages, including Gloria. Too traumatized to speak about what's happening back home with siblings still there. Their mother, who has worked to reform the child protection system in Ukraine, sees a crisis unfolding. I contact, just contact uh, all these people how to make it uh, uh, faster to to take these children to most safe safety places like Western Union or uh, close countries to Ukraine, Romania. Poland, uh, Moldova, etc. Ontario's former child advocate says this is an opportunity for this province to help. To flow some funds directly to those organizations on the ground who need it immediately. Despite the risks, Kuleba says he plans to continue carrying out missions to bring children in orphanages to safety. It's because we love our children and we love our country. Karen Lieberman, Global News. Another bizarre twist in the death of a woman at a blueberry farm. One individual did recently receive uh, 270 blank pages. 
the freedom of information failure tied to the aftermath of the tragedy and why it reveals nothing about what happened. And sneaker freaks. The search for the perfect shoe hits Vancouver this weekend. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. I'm Dom Powers in Globe One looking at the Iron Workers Memorial. Northbound's in good shape after an earlier problem that was off to the side. However, southbound is quite busy from down the cut from about Lonsdale. Get best in-class protection and savings with BCA Insurance. Learn more at BCA.com. I'm Dom Powers in Global One. Hi about the Iron Workers. There is more criticism tonight of B.C.'s freedom of information system, this time as part of the strange and tragic case of a woman who was killed while picking blueberries. As Paul Johnson reports, concerned residents are getting nowhere in their efforts to find out what happened to the area's bears after the death. There is a tragic situation where a woman um, was found uh, dead. Bear advocate Ellie Lamb and a handful of her associates been trying to get to the bottom of last summer's tragedy in Pitt Meadows. There was several bears that used to frequent that area. After Amy Guo's body was found in this blueberry field, one suspicion was that she may have died from an animal attack, and the Conservation Officer Service deployed its predator response team. Witnesses saw a number of bear traps set out, and then noticed the usual bears weren't around anymore. And they wondered if perhaps the bears were um, trapped and moved or trapped and killed. So Lamb's associates filed a Freedom of Information Act request. But the Ministry of Environment didn't answer their questions and sent a PDF of several hundred redacted pages and a bill for just over 300 bucks. It's been a lot of heel dragging by our government to get this information. The Ministry of Environment Thursday also declined to tell Global News about the fate of those bears, saying the death is under investigation. But recently, an intriguing new twist happened. In a civil lawsuit, Amy Guo's family are saying she died of a dog attack, not a bear. There's a lot of murmuring and, and, uh, and that going on as to what happened to the bears. So with even more incentive to know, these volunteers are learning that BC's freedom of information process is not free, especially after the NDP government flip-flopped on their promises recently and added yet more fees. Lamb and the bear advocates aren't the only ones upset. I think it's an outrage, to be honest with you, uh, because they promised to do exactly the opposite. They've put these fees in place. They've made it harder to access information from government that, frankly, every British Columbian deserves access to. They were voted by the Canadian Association of Journalists as the most secretive government in Canada. With their quest ongoing, Lamb expects the total bill to not find out what happened could be north of $1,000 already. Paul Johnson, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, a recent pair of studies suggest those who get COVID-19 might have more than one variant of the virus attacking their body at the same time. 
Researchers say less dominant variants might be simultaneously present in the same infected individual with some cloaking themselves from the immune system. They say this could lead to a longer recovery time for some patients. However, the researchers did not say if it would make an infected person more sick because the studies only focused on the longevity of infection. Coming up, a collection with soul. Just about every shoe that you can imagine uh, wanting, you can find at the show. A golden opportunity for sneaker experts looking for the grail in Vancouver this weekend. And coming up in sports, the Whitecaps will put their best foot forward on a brand new pitch. Capital is warning its customers to plan ahead while a major system upgrade is done next month. The credit union will be doing the work from April 8th to 13th, and while the work won't affect bank machines or point-of-sale services like debit transactions, large transactions like purchasing a new car won't be able to be processed, and bank branches will be closed. Coast Capital, which has more than half a million members, says their phone-based helpline will be operating 24-7 during that upgrade. Feels like we put a lot of rain into the bank over winter. Now it's time mm-hmm. to withdraw some sunshine. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. I agree. Way to segue, by the I'm way. I'm just trying. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Well done. Hey, I just want to let you know, actually, February was not that wet. We were actually below average for precipitation. But you're right. The early part of uh, winter, we certainly did have enough rainfall and certainly into our fall as well. Uh, so we deserve this, don't we? Today was gorgeous. I thought I would just show you some photos from of birds because honestly, all I could hear today was chickadees everywhere. And look at this beautiful shot of a hummingbird there. Thank you to Warren for that one. And this heron there. So lots of birds out feeling like spring. The crocuses are out and even the tulips are starting to pop. Now here's a look at today's highs. So a range is what we're expecting again tomorrow from nine near the water to about 12, maybe even 13 degrees away from the water. But I tell you, it is going to get cold at night. So Watch for frosty starts to the day with lows of only one or two degrees. Those of you in the interior, a few areas hit double digits. You likely won't see that again tomorrow. And one of the reasons is with this big upper level ridge, the jet stream is driving sort of north through south through the province. That is good in that it's dissipating the fog. So we will see some fog develop overnight, but enough of a breeze will help dissipate that. So we won't see the inversion layer develop. But it also means that temperatures in through the interior will be a touch cooler. Uh, Nonetheless, still sensational conditions for this time of year with just patchy fog expected through the morning hours, lots of sunshine through the afternoon, straight sunshine for the south coast. Again, a range near the water about 9 degrees and away from the water, you may be up to 12 and we'll see that again on Sunday. So two perfect days on the way before we start to see a little bit more cloud on Monday. Now I want to show you tonight's central windows weather window. It is quite exceptional. So this is a shot from this morning of you can see some blue sky, Also, we had still a few showers. Joshua sent us this, but check this out. Yes. This was Joshua's morning coffee break on top of his uh, crane tower, and he took that shot. Can you believe it? I would be sick to my stomach having to deal with that. No, don't look down. 
Right now, Squire's freaking out. Don't look at the monitor right now, Squire. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we all know Squire's. Joshua, I hope you were wearing a safety harness or something. Oh, my. Of course he was. Uh, We'll get to it later. Right now, let's talk about these because sneakerheads from all around B.C. and the Pacific Northwest will be converging on the Vancouver Convention Center this weekend for SneakerCon 2022. And it's no longer just about fashion. In fact, as Paul Hasem found out, the perfect pair of kicks can turn into a big payday. If you want shoes with lots of pep, get Keds, Kids, Keds. The sneaker game has come a long way since this Keds commercial from 1950. And that game will be on full display this weekend when the Vancouver Convention Centre is transformed into the ultimate shoe store for SneakerCon 2022. So everybody who's looking for a pair, they might have missed out on a release over the holiday break or something like that. And they're looking for those pairs, you'll find them there. And if you're a buyer and you're looking for inventory, I mean, this is the place to be. Ty Engman will be there at just 21. He's been able to shoehorn his love of collecting into a career. I, I love the game. I love I love like hunting for shoes. I've never been so nervous to wear the wrong shoes to an interview shoot, and it turns out I did. Ty, who's known as Curated Van on Instagram, is an Air Jordan aficionado with a focus on the Jordan 1s from 1985. Like the historic aspect behind the shoes kind of what drew me to the shoe. Like last week I sold this shoe for 24000 Canadian. The sneaker industry was valued at $79 billion in 2021, projected to hit $120 billion by 2026. These gold OVO Jordans made for Drake are the world's most expensive sneaker at $2 million U.S. Yeah. I said, yeah! Yeah, the next trip you're definitely going to get them. But for sneakerheads, building a brand from the ground up has become big business. I never thought that I'd be like selling shoes to Kevin Hart because I watched him on TV and I thought that the guy was so funny, so it was... It was super, super awesome to sell him a pair of shoes. But then once I saw the shoes in like a magazine picture, I was like, damn, like, that's that's so cool. I've seen kids grow up. I saw 12-year-olds 10 years ago with one pair of shoes walking around the event trying to sell it and then move on to have a vendor table the next year and then two, three tables the next year. And now they have pop-up stores and malls. When it comes to the sneaker game, the kids and the kids are more than all right. Kids, kids, kids. Paul Hasem, Global News. Amazing. And apparently we just learned Squire sitting on a gold mine at home. I don't know if I am or not. I think you probably are. Probably are. There are these Nike basketball shoes that zip up. They look like something from the future. Still, to this day, they look like they're from the future. And he's never worn never them. Worn never them. worn them. Okay. They might I be feel worth like... $17.50 now. <laughs> they used to be worth $15.50. Um, tomorrow, the Whitecaps host New York FC, but they'll be playing this game on new artificial turf. Will that make a difference? Obviously, we're not fully used to it yet, but that being said, New York City FC is not used to it at all. So the Whitecaps will have both home field advantage and home turf advantage. All right, also tonight, satellite debris. Check out this live shot of the Olympic cauldron at Jackpool Plaza, lit up tonight to honor Team Canada competing in the 2022 Winter Paralympic Games. 
And if you can check it out in person, it'll be glowing until 10 o'clock tonight. Good luck to all of our athletes competing. Mm -hmm. It would be nice if that was lit every night, wouldn't it be? Yes. I know it it's be. expensive, but it would be nice. Every couple of years Perfect world. is okay for now. Perfect world. <laughs> all right, Squire. Okay, the Vancouver Whitecaps have re-signed veteran striker Tosant Ricketts to a new one-year deal. This is going to be his 14th year in pro soccer. And he and the Whitecaps will be hosting the champs, New York FC, tomorrow, 3 o'clock at BC Play Stadium. It's not just the first home game of the season for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Also, the first game on the new surface of BC Place Stadium. We showed you it a couple of weeks ago. It's a big upgrade from the old carpet. And um, that old carpet, like all artificial turfs, eventually just wore down. When the Whitecaps put their best foot forward in their home opener Saturday, they'll be doing it on a plush new artificial turf just installed at BC Place. It'll certainly look better on television, be easier on the players' joints, and hopefully provide an advantage for the Whitecaps, but that may take a bit of time. It's a little different. It's kind of like a new shoe guy breaking in a little bit, but it's, you know, it's a nice field. Uh, I'm sure with a couple games under it, you know, it'll be feel, feel real good. Guys will get used to the way the ball rolls and everything, so it'll take a, it'll take a little bit of time maybe. Obviously, we're not fully used to it yet, but that being said, New York City FC is not used to it at all. So we'll get used to it, we'll learn the pitch, and we'll use it as our advantage going forward. More pressing for the Whitecaps is to put on a great performance for their fans after getting blown out 4-0 in their season opener last week in Columbus. The Whitecaps are trying to introduce some new strategies this year, but it won't get results without energy and determination. Two trademarks under Vanny Sartini during last year's stretch run. You know, you can have a bad game, but the only thing you control is your energy, how much work you put into the game, and I think that's something that, you know, helps us on the field especially with the way we play and then when we when we're good on the ball I think it takes us to another level so you know first and foremost we have to have the right energy the right commitment to the game plan and, and just come out flying. So I want to see that relentless, being relentless being uh, confident and uh, being also happy to play in front of our fans. Whitecaps tomorrow, Canucks tomorrow in Toronto that won't be easy but they are coming off a win 4-3 against the Islanders last night Featured goals from three players who usually don't score all that often, Vasily Podkolzin, who actually has been playing better of late. Nils Hoaglander, who finally got off the schneid, as they say, hadn't scored since New Year's Day. And Brad Hunt scored his first goal as a Vancouver Canuck. And this is the team he grew up cheering for. Local kid finally scored a goal for the local team. He's still astonished that his childhood dream of playing for the Canucks has come true. Uh, yeah, I mean, it feels great. <laughs> It's like never would would I have ever dreamed of playing for my hometown team and scoring a goal and getting a huge win when we need it the most. It's uh it's obviously a great feeling and uh, I'm sure a lot of people are really excited. But my parents, my my family, they're probably pumped. And yeah, it's a really cool feeling. I told him it's about time. You know, like I mean, he's supposed to be a scorer. Let's start scoring. That's kidding. Like it's you know, just to let you know. Um, but I, you know, I mean, it's good for Huntsy. I mean, that's how he got here. Was a power play guy, and he's played so well, so steady as recently and uh to for him to get rewarded like that tonight was really really nice to see one of the teams the canucks have to climb over to get into a wild card spot will be the uh, dallas stars they are ahead of the canucks in the standings right now they're taking on winnipeg that's a nice goal oh look at the stick work there by jason robertson he has two in this game that was worth three looks and dallas leads two one after two 
Well, for the first time in eight years, a Canadian has won a World Cup downhill, and it's one of our guys, North Vancouver slash Whistler's Cameron Alexander, actually finished in a tie for first in a downhill in Kvetfjell, Norway. I know I'm saying that wrong. Uh, Switzerland's Niels Hinterman was the other gold medalist today. The last time a Canadian won a gold medal was Eric Gay in 2014 on this same mountain. And Cameron Alexander started... 39th overall, not very often a World Cup skiing. Do you see someone who starts outside the top 30 end up on the podium? But he did it. He wasn't on our Olympic team. He didn't make it. So he stayed in Europe, worked on his skiing, and came into this race more than ready. He only had one top 10 in his career before this one. A lot of people have been saying around the ski circuit, the Canadian men's team is young, but they are up and coming, and they have a lot of talent on it. And I know all I had to do was just let go and try and give it my best. And that's what I did today. And what do you know? <laughs> I'm on the top of the podium. Surprising, but at the same time, I mean, this is what I do this sport for. And I know I know I can do it. So it feels really good. Kvichel, how's that? That was good. Not bad? That was good. Okay. All thanks. right. Thanks, Squire. Satellite Debris up next. Stay with us. It's important to have good toilet paper, I always say. <laughs> no matter where you are. Well, sure. remember when the pandemic started, what was everybody hoarding? <laughs> toilet GP. paper. Yeah. So that's what this commercial is about. How you can give up a lot of creature comforts, but giving up toilet paper, mm, I don't think so. myself in the green of the trees I'm breathing the air so pure and I wish you could see Oh, I fish and I hunt, I live under the stars It feels like I am the man I wanted to be Watching the sky in the light of the stars The bright for the first time tonight And I wish you could see It's true. That's why I don't camp. Yeah. <laughs> Not doing anything with leaves. Okay, so uh, this is from Mercedes. I know that Sophie likes this ad. Because of their chickens? Mm -hmm. <laughs> their chickens. Three, two, one.
Now that's that a chicken a, dance I can get behind. I love that. Yeah. That had a groove. Okay, um, Warburton's, which is a company out of uh, Great Britain, uh, they make breads and stuff. They bring in big stars to do their ads, and they brought in a whole bunch for this one. Mr. Warburton, there's a Mr. The Frog here to see you. What, the Mr. The Frog? Mr. Warburton, is it true you're bringing out a giant crumpet? Yes, but... Well, sir, you have given me a fantastic idea for a Muppet extravaganza. Picture this, Johnny. It's the Giant Crumpet Show! Ah! It's time to grab the toaster. It's time to take a bite. It's time for Giant Crumpets on the Crumpet Show tonight. They're thick and super fluffy. Oh, I know what that feels like. It's time for Giant Crumpets. They're bigger than my grandma. self-toasting crumpet. We'll eat them for our breakfast. We'll eat them as a treat. We'll eat them with a cup of watching Coronation Street. Yeah! What do you call a dog made out of bread? A crumpet! Ah! And now our very special guest, Mr. Giant Crumpet himself, Jonathan Warburton! Uh, Oh no, uh, where's Mr. Warburton? So... Is it true you're the world's biggest supplier of crumpets? It's time to hit the Arndale to get some bigger plates. It's time to get them toasted. On the most sensational, inspirational, giantational, crumpetational. This is called the Giant Crumpet Show! Mad for it! So what do you say, Johnny? Huh? That wasn't half bad. You're right. It was all bad. I prefer the other one. Yeah, where is Stallone anyway? (laughs) Merry crumpets, everybody. What was the name of the two old guys? Sattler and Waldorf. There you go. (laughs) At the very end. All the stops Mm -hmm. for that one. Enjoy the sunshine, right, Gordo? That's right. Cold at night, don't forget, but really nice during the day. Perfect timing for the weekend. That's right, yes. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Have a great weekend. Good night, all.